you for tuning in to episode seven of the DNC podcast. Before I get started today, we wanted to give our condolences to the family of former Washington Bullet star Wes Unsaid, who passed away today at the age of 74. Coming up on the show today, we have a number of fun topics. We're going to get into the NBA awards, coach of the year, MVP, and more. We're also going to talk about John Moran and Zion and who we would rather build a roster around. Lastly, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the new proposal from the NBA Players Association in the hopes for baseball coming back reasonably soon. How's your day going, man? It's great. I really am getting excited with all this new news coming out about the NBA, the NFL, other leagues like the NHL that are just getting super close to resuming their seasons. It's not, it's really starting to feel like sports are back. And so for that matter, just for the simple fact that we are going to get to talk more about sports and have more to talk about than just the start of seasons is going to be fun. So how about yourself? Yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm hyped, man. It's like everything seems to kind of be coming back normal. Uh, finally was able to get my haircut. I know we've been talking about it for a few weeks, so I wanted to let the viewers at home know that it's happened. Your boy's back, got a fresh cut Sunday. Uh, place opened at 10 o'clock, was there at 10.05, so I'm locked and loaded and ready to go. It's a game changer because you don't realize – it's like it, – I don't know if you've ever broken like a limb or like a finger – for that matter, like I remember I separated my thumb and I never really thought about my thumb being like an integral part of my hand until I absolutely could not use it. And I know it sounds odd, but like haircuts are the same way. Like I didn't have the appreciation for haircuts until this COVID-19 thing happened and I couldn't get a haircut for three months. I just couldn't, I couldn't go any longer. I was genuinely about to buzz my head, but I'm glad that businesses are starting to open back up so the economy can start getting back on track and building itself. And so all of that plays a factor. But on the funny side of things, I know that for you, you're you're super thrilled. <laughs> yeah, man, it was it was absolutely awesome. So obviously, NBA season is going to be starting hopefully pretty soon. The season is going to be shortened a little bit, and so when you think of shortening it, um, it kind of affects you know awards because you're not seeing a guy play for 82 seasons. But I still think there's a number of players and coaches who have done a, an amazing job in the limited sample size of the season. So Starting off with me, when you look at the MVP discussion, I think for me, right off the bat, the, the name that comes to mind is LeBron James. I think you look at the impact he's had with the Lakers roster. Obviously, you know, he does have Anthony Davis, his, his go-to option. But you look at how dominant they've been basically from the start of the season. I think a lot of people are talking about them and saying there are so many new people on the roster there was going to take a time for them to mesh kind of like when he first played in Miami with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, but it kind of seemed like they hit the ground running, even with Kuzma out for an extended period of time. Absolutely, He's, re he, he's really got a lot of players who besides Anthony Davis, they're just serviceable players. It's not like their whole roster is completely stacked. And so I think he's an amazing job leading the charge, especially in the Western conference. No, I love that take. They really did hit the ground running. It, it was like they'd been playing with each other for years and if you look at that roster and how it's constructed, there's there's really not a lot of young talent. It's it's really a committee of older players and veterans. And I just think that it shows the dominance of LeBron James because no matter where he is, the team's an immediate contender. I mean, it's hard to talk about last season just simply because of his injury. It was the anomaly of his career. And so they still would have made the playoffs. He was having an MVP caliber season before he got hurt. And I still think they would have had a tough run to the finals, but they would have been a playoff team, no doubt. And so this year, you're basically adding Anthony Davis, 
with LeBron and they're the number one seed in the West. And the West, in my opinion, is way deeper this year. Like you got the Clippers who have two stars. You have obviously the Lakers have two stars too. And then Denver, they're young. You got Jokic, you got Murray, you got Gary Harris. Uh, Utah's got Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, although hopefully their relationship, that's a side note, is yeah, they might they might not have both of them too much longer with the whole uh, the whole COVID thing. The whole COVID. I think it'd be a travesty if Utah traded Gobert away. I think he's an absolute beast and he'll he'll be in the discussion later. But I, I love that take because I think a lot of people don't realize how hard it is in the in the in the world of sports and to get garner chemistry with your teammates that fast it does take time because you're dealing with different personalities you're dealing with different skill sets guys that have played in different offenses so it does take time to mesh we saw that with miami his first year with Dwayne wade and chris bosh it just it really does take time it's not just as easy as throwing talent together on a court and just expecting the greatest results possible so i love that yeah, and then getting into coaching of the year. This one was a little bit tougher for me. There's a lot of really good candidates out there. For me, yeah. I went with Billy Donovan um, solely for the fact that, for me, I thought going into the season, looking at the Thunder's roster, I thought they were clearly tanking, right, for the draft this year. I thought they were taking the Chris Paul contract simply for money. But you look at how that team has played, has a real chance of making the playoff, really has made that three-guard system work really, really well. And so for me um, – he was kind of my choice for coach of the year. Where, where are you at with that award? Yeah, I thought he's done an excellent job with, of course, the roster that he's having to coach. And I know that Chris Paul is an all-time Hall of Fame point guard, but he is older. And I think he's had a season of resurgence where he's shown himself as, a, as still a very valuable piece to a potential, not this roster, but in maybe next season if he decides to leave or he gets traded. Uh, to a championship roster and he's older but with that comes a lot of wisdom and a lot more knowledge on the game so his body and his as far as his athleticism and holding up in terms of a, a full 82 game season isn't going to be as as likely as when he was younger but but now he's got the wisdom and knowledge in the game at an all-time high and he's still incredibly skilled and so they still had steven adams They've got a great young team and Dennis Schroeder and, and company. So I, I love what they have. I love what Billy Donovan's done. But for me, Nick Nurse was was the pick because Toronto with no stars, Pascal Siakam is on the rise and becoming a star in this league. But Kyle Lowry, I think people would say he's a very, very good piece, but he's definitely not considered a star in this league. And then you have – Fred Van Vliet even has kind of risen to become the point guard of the future for the Toronto Raptors. And, you know, you got Marcus Saul, uh, Ibaka, you know, these types of guys. And to be second in the East with the amount of talent that's now in the Eastern Conference has been really, really impressive. And I think it shows how important coaching is in basketball. Now, I believe that if you have a star, you are automatically a contender or at least for, for a playoff spot maybe not for a championship because of the impact of one guy and what he can have on a particular game but with toronto he's done so such an amazing job at getting the most out of each and one of those each one of those guys and so for that matter i just think being in the eastern conference with the talent that it's such a deep conference now and they they're still the second 
the second team in the conference behind um, Milwaukee. No, I think that Nick Nurse is a great take. I think when you look at the Raptors, you probably thought they had a chance of making the playoffs, but I, I would think most people would assume they'd probably be in that eight seed, six seed kind of range. No one would have expected them to be ahead of Boston, um, you know, ahead of Philadelphia and Philadelphia, things like that. Yeah. That were just stacked with talent. Miami. Even the Nets with even the Nets with Kyrie Irving minus Durant. Obviously, he's been injured, but there was a number of teams people would have picked before this season to be to be ahead of the Raptors. And so I think I think that's a great take. Uh, next one we're going to chat about is Defensive Player of the Year. This one was a little bit harder for me, I think. For Defensive Very Player hard. of the Year, I, for me, this one's a lot more of like an eye test than strictly numbers, right? I think there's certain guys um, where you can like look up block rates and that type of stuff. For me, when I think of Defensive Player of the Year, and I look at it, I think, differently than a lot of people, I think of like – the way the NBA played right, the way the NBA is played right now, what do I value for 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 defense? And for me, it's a player who can guard almost every position or at least multiple positions, say the two, the three, and the four. And so for me, my defense of the player of the year as of right now is Anthony Davis. I think you look at the impact he's made on the Lakers. Like we mentioned a little bit earlier, a lot older of a roster. And so when you have an older of a roster, a lot of times your players aren't as athletic individually speaking um they don't guard as well in the perimeter but i think he's done an amazing job to really sure up the end and hold down that middle for the lakers which i think has helped with a lot of their success created a lot more fast break opportunities for them and has really thrived their success minus lebron's play obviously and so for me that's who i currently have as a defensive player of the year yeah this was a really close one like you said you you brought up anthony davis there's really three guys that i think are very close so you have anthony davis you have Giannis, and you have rudy gobert and i don't think you can go wrong with either three of those players but when i was looking at it from a standpoint of not just statistics because i think statistics can sometimes lie to you but it, from an eye test standpoint who had makes the biggest impact on the floor from a def defensive standpoint and i look at a guy like rudy gobert his impact on the overall Jazz team on the defensive end is why Utah is a contender in the West. It's not because of Donovan, Donovan Mitchell's offensive explosiveness, which that is a massive contributor, but Rudy Gobert's ability to guard in the low post, get rebounds, get putbacks, it's, it's really an immense uh, contribution to the team. And so for that, from that standpoint, Rudy Gobert is my guy. Um, he his out of his rebounds that he's averaging this season, um, which he's averaging 13, uh, a little over 13 and a half rebounds. And of those 13 and a half, he's averaging or 10 and a half of those essentially are uh, defensive rebounds, which means that um, he's really taking away any opportunity for the offense to get putbacks, to get a, another possession, essentially. And just his overall impact with Utah, like Giannis. Giannis on the defensive end is a force. And again, remember when I'm saying this, I'm not saying it's a huge discrepancy because it sounds like I'm picking one guy and I don't think the other guys are worthy. I think you could you make a very valid argument with all three guys. But with Rudy Gobert specifically on the defensive end, Utah is not the same team if he's not on the floor. That's why I was saying as a joke earlier, him and, him and Donovan Mitchell need to figure out whatever they need to figure out to make sure that they mend their friendship so that they can continue to pair up and do what they do on the court because you remove Rudy Gobert from that that team Utah might not even be a playoff team and I'm being dead serious whereas with Anthony Davis he is an incredible defensive player he's probably he's arguably the best two-way player in basketball 
But if he wasn't a great defender, he is such an elite offensive player that the Lakers would still have a massive benefit from his offensive contribution. Whereas Rudy Gobert is not really known as like an offensive talent or an offensive force. So I just think if when we're talking about the defensive player of the year, we're not talking about the MVP where it would factor in all, you know, both sides of the ball. Um, I just think Rudy Gobert is, is my choice and he makes the greatest impact on a game and night to night basis. Yeah. I think his fit with Utah, he's like instrumental to them. I think what hurt me with Rudy Gobert is I remember watching, I think it was their series versus Golden State last year. And because of the way Golden State played, it really minimized um, like his efficiency against that type of an offense. But I do think game in and game out, you're not always playing Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson um, and multiple people that can hit threes consistently and not have to drive it in. But yeah, on a game and game basis, um, he, he basically el eliminates your ability to attack the basket. And that's always going to be important. Um, going to rookie of the year, this one for me wasn't too hard. I picked John Morant, and the biggest reason for that is just how long he's played. Now, I think Zion right. was was really good once he got going, but the gap of level was so, so large there because obviously Giannis uh, – not Giannis, sorry, um, Zion with the knee there being precaution of that. And so um, I personally like from a athlete standpoint, I think long-term I like Zion a little bit more, and I'll probably get into that a little bit later. But I think for this rookie of the year case, I don't really think it's close. I think some people have Zion – Yes, he's been explosive, but I think when you look at how long he's played, I would probably give it to, to Jaw. This this award to me, it just seeing what they're listing as the candidates for rookie of the year, I think it's kind of disrespectful that they do have Zion second, right behind Jaw, because a guy like Kendrick Nunn from the Heat has had a really, really good year. And I believe that the brand, the image of what Zion represents his star power, his electricity that he brings to the game is allowing him to be moved up in this list. Whereas I think a guy like Kendrick Nunn has proven that this guy has a really bright future in this league and he's done it over a longer period of time because Zion's only played 19 games. And so I love Zion and we'll get in that later, as you mentioned. So it's not so much that I'm not high on his talent, but like you said, he only, he's only played 19 games. So it's really not fair to compare him both to Ja, Kendrick Nunn, and the other guys. But it's also not fair to Zion because if I believe had he played the length of time that Ja's played and that Kendrick Nunn's played, then I think he would be leading the rookie of the year debate. But because of that, I think it's easy. It is jaw. There's no doubt. I mean, nobody expected Memphis to be competitive this year at all. There's, there's nobody – that understands basketball would have said that Memphis was going to be a playoff team. And the fact that they have, he has them as the eighth seed in the Western conference, not in the East is incredibly impressive. I mean, the fact that he's, he's, he's averaging 17 over a little over 17 and a half a game. He's shooting almost 50% from the field and his he's shooting. This is kind of the statistic that really bothers me. He's shooting little close to 37% from three, but I think over time we'll see him develop that. And the only other thing too, for a, for a point guard to be shooting 77% from free throw from the free throw line is a little alarming for me, but again, he's still super young. He's still finding his way in this league. He's averaging seven assists a game, three and a half rebounds. And I, I just, there's, there's no rookie in this year that's making the sort of impact that he is on the team. And with them being a small market team, they're not getting a ton of national television coverage. 
it's hard to it's it, he's not being viewed as often as like Zion's going to get way more attention, even though he's in a smaller market, just simply because of the brand that follows him. And so Jaws kind of he fits that small market because he was a you know he was an under recruited guard. He went to a, a mid a, a, um, a smaller school in Division One and to Murray State, and then goes to the Memphis Grizzlies. It's like it all seems to fit with him and who he is his personality, his humility. Um, but from an actual talent standpoint, I think this guy's going to be one of the faces of the league going forward. You know, I think that's a great take. I think my, the right, the way I picked my six man was kind of similar. Cause I look, I think of the impact that he's had on his team as well as where we predicted the team to be. And that for me, it's Dennis Schroeder, right? You look at Thunder currently the fifth team in the Western conference, right? I think before the season started, no one would have picked the Thunder to be a, you know, to be in front of the Spurs, um, to be in front of Portland. The fact that Portland currently doesn't even have a chance to possibly make the playoffs when the uh, when the season comes back because of their deficit, the the gap between them and Memphis is really alarming. But I look at Dennis Schroeder; uh, he's coming off the bench, still averaging uh, just under 20 points a game, 19 points a game, uh, four assists, three rebounds, really helps impact the game. He takes a lot of the load off of Chris Paul, where Chris Paul, his minutes are down a little bit. He's been able to be like the vocal coach, but I look at Dennis Schroeder. He was a, he was a nice player in Atlanta, but the impact he's having on the Thunder, I, I think it's undeniable. Yeah, it's really hard to, to deny that. I don't think this is a hard one. I'm in agreement with you. Dennis Schroeder, to me, is the sixth man of the year. There's, there's teams that want to trade for him, for them, for him to be their, their number one guard. And he obviously is fitting in the system in OKC, like you said, with Chris Paul. But there are teams that this offseason that I believe he'll get traded. And there's teams that are going to basically give him the keys um, as their starting point guard. But I, I love his game. I, really, anywhere he's been, even when he was with Atlanta, I loved his game. It was really why they let Jeff Teague walk because they felt like they had a guy in Dennis Schroeder that was going to be really a, a potential all-star. And he hasn't fully reached that yet. but. I really believe this guy's talent is he's one of the more underrated players in the game. And I know, I know that um, you look at guys like Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell, who are also candidates. Those are, those are two guys that are really important to their specific franchise. Uh, they both play a, a great role. Montrezl Harrell is defensively a presence rebounds. Lou Williams is an offensive, uh, you know, firepower when he's on the court. So I think from that standpoint, those guys could be easy plugs, but, when you look at Dennis Schroeder's game and what he brings to Oklahoma City, I mean, I really do believe that their season would have been impacted in a, in a very vast way that if he wasn't on the roster, if it was just Chris Paul. And so I think it is an easy one. There's no doubt with, with Dennis Schroeder. And then I think for me, most improved, which is the last one we're going to talk about before we get to the next topic. This one for me was the hardest. I think I'm still kind of going right. back and back and forth on it for me. Um, I think I'm going to end up going with Brandon Ingram. And I think the biggest reason I'm going with Brandon Ingram is I kind of forgot about Brandon Ingram, right? Coming out of Duke, I think a lot of people had all these comps for him. They thought maybe he'll be the next Paul George, lengthy player, has has decent handles. Never really made it work with the Lakers before LeBron came. Then LeBron came, and he never really filled the role there. He really took a step back, really deferred. You look at how well, he, how well he's played for the Pelicans now. It's going to be interesting to see – what his stats look like once Zion's completely integrated in the offense and is he the primary guy? But you look at Ingram this year, his points are up 
by about six points at 24 points a game, rebounding around six, assists at four. I mean, he could very easily be a 25, five and five guy where you look at there's not many players in the league that can do it. Now, you would like there to also be the wins um, to justify the statistics, but I think that whole team, the Pelicans, with all the acquisitions, they're still so new, so it will take them a time. It will take them a little bit of time to learn how to play together. But I, I really like his his future, his potential. I think he really has a chance to be a star in the league. And so for me, um, he's my guy for most improved this year. Yeah, he's somebody that people were comparing to Kevin Durant when he was coming out of Duke, and he didn't really live up to that in Los Angeles. I don't know what it is about going to the Lakers, but you look, you look at D'Angelo Russell, Lonzo Ball. Brandon Ingram, it's like they can't hack it in Los Angeles and in that market. Or maybe it's just playing for that brand because the Lakers are one of the biggest brands in the NBA. But this is the guy that I think a lot of analysts and scouts projected to be a comp to KD. And it's seemingly a perfect fit in New Orleans with he's still got Lonzo, but he's in a smaller market. There's not as much pressure. He's the guy. To, you know, and I know that once Zion gets going, they're going to have multiple go-tos, but at least as it stands this season, Brandon Ingram has been the guy there. And obviously he's made a big jump in points. I mean, he's averaging, like you said, he's averaging tw- almost 24 and a half a game. It's almost a six point jump. And then I think the other stuff that's just, there's small improvements, but they're massive. And so his rebounds are up over a rebound a game. Um, his, his blocks are up, his assists are up both by, by one. And he's really cementing himself as a young star in this league that if he continues to develop and go down this path, New Orleans going to have, they're going to, this is an opportunity for New Orleans to do what Oklahoma city could have done with Katie Harden and Westbrook. They got Lonzo, they've got Zion and they've got, and then, I mean, there's nothing, you got Josh, uh, Josh Hart, you've got Drew Holiday, but those are going to be their three core players moving forward that they can build this team around. And so when I look at Brandon Ingram, I know that Bam Adebayo was the, was really my next guy that was pretty close. Uh, and I love his fit in Miami. I think with the culture they're building with Jimmy Butler, Tyler Harrow, Kendrick Nunn, these guys, he fits in Miami. But I don't know long-term if there's star power there. So that's why I'm going with Brandon because I think he's going to be going forward. I think he could push himself into be in the next, you know, of course, five to seven years, he could become a top five player in this game. All right. So now we're going to get into uh, basically building a franchise and players in the league that you'd want to build a franchise around. I think there's a lot of people you could do for us. We basically narrowed it to the two um, big rookies, obviously in the NBA this year, which is John Moran and Zion. And so, do you want to get started with me on your thoughts on which one of those guys you, I mean, I think they're both extremely talented players. We love them both, but is there one you're kind of leaning to where if you were going to start a roster, you'd pick one or the other? Yeah. And I know, I know for me, this was really, really close for you. I think it differs, which is great, but it's not a huge discrepancy between both of these guys. You really can't go wrong, but I'm going to give my, my reasons why I believe John Morant is the player you should want to build around out of those two going forward if you're starting a franchise. And here's why. John Morant has already exploded onto the scene. He's going to be the rookie of the year. He's in the Western Conference where he's going to be playing against the best talent in the NBA. So he's going to continue to be pushed by the best. He's taken a team that was really bad last year. They're going to be the eighth seed in the Western Conference. 
with really nobody around him. And that's the most impressive thing. I always look at guys that can carry a team, can carry a franchise. And that's what Jaws shown. He's proven that over 60 games this year. It's, it's not a small sample size like Zion. And Jaw right now, his game is a lot of pure athleticism. And as his game evolves, where he can learn to use his athleticism, and then he starts to grow wise in the X's and O's of basketball, and really, really, truly learns how to play the point guard position at the NBA level. Like I look at a guy like Derrick Rose, like early on, it, it, there's very a lot of similarities there because early on, Derrick Rose was just such an athletic freak that he was able to make up for other deficiencies in his game because you couldn't, he was more athletic than you. You just couldn't guard him one-on-one. And so, but there's also similarities in Derrick wasn't a great jump shooter and never really fully developed that. And, you know, we, I said earlier with John Morant with a 37% from three, I want to see that improve and I want to see his free throw percentage go up. But as he develops, this is a guard driven league. So again, this is, this is basically we're we're guesstimating going forward, right? So I'm assuming that Jaw's going to get better and I'm, I'm assuming that Jaw's game's going to evolve. He's not going to just be an athletic point guard that can sometimes shoot, but mainly get to the rack. This is somebody that his game is built for today's NBA. And if you look at guards across the league, for the most part, they stay healthy. So you look at guys like Damian Lillard. I know Steph Curry, this is an anomaly and this is an off year for him. But for the most part, he's been healthy after he got past his ankle injuries in the first uh, half of his career. Um, You look at guys like Westbrook, Harden. These guys are, they stay healthy. They play. And with jaw he has no injury history going forward if he again develops stays healthy he's a guy that i would build around because he's proven he can carry a team he's athletic it's a guard driven league he's a great passer and he'll develop his shot more and more as he goes on and so my concern with zion is that he also is his game is purely based on his athleticism and he's heavy so the wear and tear on his knees, the wear and tear over an 82-game season, two, three, five, seven years from now, that accumulates. And that's my biggest concern with him is not talent, but a matter of his game is solely based on his athleticism. If his athleticism or if his game doesn't develop and he's just a guy that can overpower you, then as he gets older, his athleticism is going to start to dwindle and it's going to start to decrease. And so if he doesn't if he doesn't improve his jump shot, if he doesn't improve his ability to rebound. I mean, the guy's only averaging, and again, I know it's a small sample size, um, but he's only averaging, you know, just under seven rebounds a game. And for a guy his size, I would like to see him getting more boards. And so if he, in his jump, he's not a great three-point shooter. He's not a great shooter in general. So if he develops that, I think he would end up being the better player but I'm again, we're going based on what I've seen now with the sample size that we have. Jaw to me is the best and safest bet um, because the, the league's built for him. The league's not necessarily built for Zion's game. I love everything you said there. I think for me, kind of what I disagree is I think Jaw, you, you I think love, a, you love it. Are you being sarcastic? <laughs> no, no, no. Like, I think every, I think every take you said on Jaw is like completely a point. I think for me, my biggest fear 
is I haven't seen a lot of historical success in the NBA when you build your team around a ball-dominant point guard. And so I think that's, for me, it has nothing to do with Jaws' talent, but I think there's been a lot of really good point guards who have been had phenomenal careers, but they haven't necessarily equated to championships. And there's a lot of factors, and it's not just saying because you have a ball-dominant point guard, you won't win a championship, but I look at a guy like Chris Paul and his time when he was in New Orleans – great player it was just the way that the that offense flowed i i think it's easier to game plan against a ball dominant point guard partly because of their size they can't be as dominant and when so much has to go through one player i think at times in the playoffs um it's harder to be successful i think of guys like kyrie irving before and post lebron derrick rose even with staying healthy they got a number of players around him i think defensively it's easier to make a game plan against a ball dominant point guard and i think when you can have even like a, a shooting guard, a small forward, or a power forward be your primary option offensively. And they're even LeBron like holds the ball or Kevin Durant holds the ball, but they don't dominate the ball for the majority of the shot clock at times. I think it gives you more options as you go through the playoffs. And so that's why I have Zion. It's more based upon his position than necessarily like a lack of talent that I see from Jock. I think I think he's going to be amazing. Um, but I look at guys like Westbrook that although he like dazzles me, and he gets a triple double. It hasn't necessarily like accumulated wins in the postseason. And I think Zion, um, how physically gifted he is, I think he's a generational talent and not comping him to LeBron. But I think a lot of the things you think of with Zion were things you thought of LeBron when he was coming out. For example, we touched on it last week a little bit with like Carmelo and LeBron. When Carmelo and LeBron both came out, Carmelo was far superior um, as a basketball player when you think of, like, being skilled. He was a better shooter, right? better rebounder, uh, better low post game. He was probably more skilled than LeBron. LeBron had amazing athleticism. And a lot of people come to the league with amazing athleticism, and they never develop. I think for me with Zion, he's so raw, but his pure just talent is so mesmerizing. Everything I've read from him, he seems like he's going to be a hard worker. And so – Obviously, for this projection to work out, he's going to have to develop a jump shot. He's going to have to figure out what is a comfortable playing weight where I can still dominate people, but it doesn't affect my knees and my ankles and and different ligaments like that. Um, But I think if we can get a max Zion and a max jaw, I just think because of the way he plays, he's somewhat positionless where he's so athletic and so impactful, but he's still only, what, 6'5"? I think there's so many ways you'd be able to utilize him that that's why I would go with Zion. But I think Jaw's a tremendous player and he's going to have an amazing career in the NBA. Yeah. When, when you're, I think when the debate is about the two guys at their absolute peak, who's better, I don't think there's an argument that Zion's better at their peak. But my concern is, is that Zion's I'm I'm just going based. My argument is just based on what we've seen. So from what we've seen, and you're, you made a great point that the same arguments that I'm making against Zion are the same arguments people made against LeBron. And I think they're two different players in the sense of LeBron 6'8", 260, 270. Zion's like 6'5 and a half, 280, 290. So when you hit one of his greatest assets right now is him being 290. There's There's nobody in the NBA that can body him. I mean, he's literally right now at 18, 19 years old, he's bodying grown men because those guys aren't that big. Now, if he's slimming down, which we, I believe is what we're going to end up seeing, 
for him to last over a 10, 15 year career in an 82 game season, he's going to have to drop what 20 pounds maybe. So now you're looking at 270, 260. And I still think that's a massive body, but he's now 6'5", 260. So he's, he's definitely on the smaller side uh, for a power forward. You know, he's probably going to end up fitting as like a tweener, as like a, a, a small forward or a power forward. But I agree with you. There's no debate if they both reach their potential that Zion's going to be the better player. I just think the league as it stands and as what we know of Zion, it, it's not, it doesn't play to his strengths. Now, if he, again, like you said, if he develops a jump shot, he becomes at least a, a formidable three-point shooter. Then we're talking about he's going to be the best player in the world because there's just nobody athletically that can even compare to him at, at this stage. LeBron's going to be out of the league. He'll have Giannis to go up against, but there, those are two different styles of play. But I just really think with Jaw and, and again, with guys like Westbrook, Dame, those two that you brought up who are elite point guards, they haven't had a ton of success in the postseason. Um, but I look, you look at a guy like Steph, the thing that encourages me about Jaw is that he's not super ball dominant. He, he looks to pass. He has a really high basketball IQ. And I mean, he, was, he averaged 10 assists a game in college, and I think he'll reach that in the NBA. And so if he continues to be that type of point guard like a Chris Paul, where he really did involve everybody around him, they can get some better pieces in Memphis or he ends up leaving some to go somewhere else to a bigger market. I think he's a guy that can win championships because of those style of play. Now a guy like Westbrook, even though he has triple doubles and he's, he's, he is on the stat sheet considered a great passer. If you really watch his game, he's not a great passer. Like he's good, but the stats in that standpoint from that standpoint do lie a little bit because jaws only averaging just under seven assists a game, but Jaw really is a great passer. So I think that I think it's a great argument you make, but we're going to have to watch it play out because it, it's going to be fun for the next 15 years uh, to watch these two guys. Hopefully they both stay healthy so that we can we can see their full potential on display. Those are some great points. I think regardless of the guy you get, whether it's Zion or Jaw, they're both extremely talented players. To your point, I hope they just stay healthy and we get to see them as a face of the league for the next you know 10 to 15 years. Before we wrap up the show today, we want to talk a little bit about the MLB season. Obviously, it looks like they're in the latter stages of potential talks to get the season starting sometime in June or July. Um, so there's some really intriguing points we want to bring up just because it's exciting to possibly have sports back. The biggest thing is an expanded playoffs for the next two seasons, up to 14 teams. Um, they're going to defer some of the salary and spring trainings to make sure the players are getting paid, as well as one of the interesting things is they want to have a lot more players mic'd on the field. I think part of that is you're not going to have fans in the stands, sorry, fans in the stands. And so how can we inter interact with the players as much as possible? So that's going to be interesting. What did you think of the, uh, the proposal? Baseball is in a really interesting spot right now, because if they don't get an agreement come or come to an agreement from both sides of players and uh, the owners, this is going to be really detrimental to baseball and they need to figure this out. I know that most people don't like to talk about the fact that you're having millionaires and billionaires argue over millions and billions, but that's really what's happening. And I understand both sides. I defend the player and I defend the owner. The owner is the owner. You got to think about it as a business because it is their franchises. And so they got to be wise in how they navigate their finances, especially when baseball in, in difference, you know, the difference between baseball and the NBA and the NFL 
the lot of the both of those leagues generate a ton of revenue from TV deals. Baseball, the majority of the revenue comes from ticket sales. And so because fans are not going to be allowed in the stadiums, they're losing a huge portion of the revenue. So I see the player's side where they want to get paid their money that they signed a contract for. They are going out there and taking the risk. Thankfully, this is not as physical of a sport as, say, football or hockey, but it is still a physical sport. So they are taking a risk, and I don't want to minimize that. I'm just saying I think you got to look at the larger picture. There's going to be collective bargaining agreements that will come up in the future that you can negotiate um, on your side of the, the tracks here from a player standpoint that would benefit you guys. But right now you got to think about the league as a whole. If you guys, if the strike continues and you guys don't have a season or you're, you have like a 20, 30 game season, you got to be concerned about the long-term effects of that. Right? So like we think about the economy right now, there's going to be long-term effects from what happened. We're not going to necessarily see it initially, but over the next five to 10 years, we're going to be able to see the impact of what's happened in our world because of due to the coronavirus. So it's the same thing with the, with the major leagues is that, if they don't come to an agreement to at least get a product on the field this year to keep things going. And like you mentioned about miking up the players that would provide some sort of entertainment for the fans that are going to be watching on TV now and aren't going to be able to attend the games. So I, I do think that they will come to an agreement. I thought it was really smart that the owners I think are starting to go, okay, if, if even though this is not ideal for us, we're, get, we're getting closer to this thing not actually happening. And so we really just need to make it happen um, and not negotiate over a few little things here and there because you got to think big picture. You can't just think about the 2020 season. But I think there are some good points from a player standpoint where a lot of these guys are looking at it from the standpoint of free agency going into 2021. So it's like if they have a bad year and it's a 40, 50 game season, which is kind of what they're um, presenting now to the players is that could heavily impact their ability to start a, sign a lar larger contract in free agency in 2021. And so a 40, 50 game season, and especially with a game of baseball where streaks matter, you got to get into a rhythm. You, it's not just like you pick up a basketball and, you know, within three to four weeks, you're fine. I know that there's still rhythm there, but with baseball, there is a lot that goes into that. So um, I think there's valid points on both sides, but ultimately my hope is that owners and players see the bigger picture here. Yeah, I think for me that the interesting thing for me is it always seems like baseball's behind the eight ball. I mean, the fact that right, absolutely. The, NBA, the NBA and the NFL basically have their plans all aligned. They're just crossing the T's and dotting the I's. And football and basketball, when you think of like the spread of the virus, it's a way more contact sport. I mean, you hardly ever even touch a baseball player. Like when you tag somebody out, it's your glove, it's the mitt. Where football, you're literally tackling a human being. Basketball, you're fouling people. You're getting touched on every single play. If right. those two sports can figure out how to make it work, it just almost seems petty at this point on the baseball side to your point where they're arguing about prorated salaries and different things like that. Like if you, two months ago, if you could have figured out how to make baseball work, or let's more realistically say a month ago, right? this is like your time to captivate and get a larger part of an audience because there's no other sports on TV. Baseball has historically struggled with the NBA and the NFL. So now you're going to have baseball season start and half of the season is going to be during football season. Nobody's going to watch it. And so for me, right. from an ownership standpoint, they've had a, they had a really good opportunity to kind of recapture a lot of fans who just want sports. I mean, 
I know, um, I forget if it was Japan or one of the countries in Asia, I know they were having baseball on ESPN at like midnight and people right. were like going crazy about it because it was yeah. just some type of live sport. And so I think baseball has really missed the ball here, no pun intended, to really take advantage of an opportunity to grow more of their market share. And hopefully they, they get something on there because I think there's a whole a, a whole part of America that loves baseball. Um, but to me, I, I, I don't know. I feel like of all the major sports, I could somewhat see baseball not figuring it out and not coming back till next season. But hopefully, hopefully this is, you know, one step closer to getting games in, in July or August. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in to episode seven of the DNC podcast every week. Guys, we really do appreciate the support. Continue to contact us on social media at the Dustin and Cole podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and engage with us. Let us know what questions you might have or topics you would like us to cover. We will cover it on the show, as I've mentioned in previous episodes. And again, tune back in Friday for the second episode of this week, episode eight. And you guys stay safe and have a great week.